So, a traditional Jewish, Christian, and Muslim. <laughs> oh, this is a good start. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the, the Holy Watermelon, Watermelon Podcast. Podcast. I'm Kate. I'm Preston. And what are we talking about today? What are we talking about? I mean, I did all the research for this episode, <laughs> so I should probably introduce it. We are talking about para religion and religious pop, pop culture. culture. Pop culture as religion is the topic, but. Religion in pop culture will definitely come up. I think it's unavoidable. We also, I'm just going to say, we have a third co-host. That's my dog. So if you hear snorts or jingles, that's her. That'll just help with editing. If you just know she's here. (laughs) All right. So let's get started, I guess. When I was researching this, I found a term I had never actually heard before, which was para-religion. And I thought that that described what we're talking about really well and its definition is a secular belief system having certain aspects of religion but not all aspects of religion so then i had to look up what religion was because if you heard our last few episodes nobody knows uh yeah i think the the things we covered in the last two episodes lend themselves very easily to the discussion of para-religion yes and i i yes all the talk around i guess of what religion is and what gods are basically fall under para-religion so formal religion formal religion has a belief in supernatural powers some influence over life rituals and ceremonies and so a para-religion would be missing some of those things so this is where pop culture comes in and that could be your para-religion whether that's sports a celebrity your favorite tv show Media. Celebrities, media. media is just like a big that covers all YouTube and books all and everything. People else. worshiping PewDiePie. <laughs> I mean, I think we all have our favorite YouTubers. So, well, yeah, I think if you spend enough time on YouTube, you definitely have somebody that you're going to keep going back to. It's true. Like <laughs> the Holy Watermelon Podcast. Right. Like and subscribe. (laughs) Give us five-star reviews. (laughs) Oh, we're getting better at this. Maybe we should start our conversation with why people worship pop culture like religion and maybe some similarities and differences in what that looks like. I mean, you wrote a paper on this. I did, and I didn't actually explore the why in the paper that I wrote, but I just tried to illustrate a whole bunch of things and said, see, haha, these people are definitely religious in their reverence sports for these fanaticism. things. Yeah, sports fanaticism is a great example. Um, it helps bind communities together. You go to a, a hockey game and you're in a stadium filled with people who are super excited to be there, to participate together and love screaming. <laughs> They'll usually, well, I can't that's say they, usually. I mean, that's how they worship. <laughs> right? There's an awful lot of uh, getting dressed up in the uniform of your favorite player. War paint. Absolutely. There's loads of war paint. I think probably more in football games than hockey games, but I see a lot more hockey jerseys on the train in hockey season than I see football during football season. Also in Canada, so right. that skews it. CFL is not a big deal. <laughs> 
I actually have friends who have been professional football players, but not here in Canada. <laughs> so, yes, people celebrating their pop culture choice can look a lot like worship. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, if you look at the cosmic duality that's present in an awful lot of the, the big religions, there's good and evil. It's usually the way it's simplified. And it's super easy to see rival teams like the Rangers and the Islanders. If you like one, the other one is not likely to be anything other than the rival, the evil. And that's a little bit religious. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. The other, yeah. Yeah. Us against them. Absolutely. But, um, I didn't put this in the show notes, but I'm actually reminded of the book that I read for the first episode called in the beginning no the faith instinct oh yeah i mean yes our first episode is called in the beginning but the book was called the faith instinct and it talks about how humans are programmed to be religious and i think that this is probably one of those whys that answers the question of the why is that we feel compelled to be part of a community yeah and a community that is bound together by a belief in something, even if that belief is as simple as our team's going to win. <laughs> I remember in V for Vendetta, there was that the mantra of the chancellor of un- um, strength through unity, unity through faith. And that faith can be literally anything, wow, a general a trust or belief. Example from pop culture. Right. <laughs> it's like I studied this a little bit. <laughs> it's like we're talking about pop culture. And religion. (laughs) We're such darks. Yeah, but it's okay. Right? I feel like sports is kind of its own beast, especially team sports. And there's often a standout player. You know, we have the Michael Jordans and the Wayne Gretzkys. But often it's a team sport. And maybe it's because I'm not a sports fan, but I can't separate out one player from another. Sorry, guys. But <laughs> they're I, just blurs on the screen. They just blurs on the screen. They shoot their puck into hoops and different <laughs> quarters. I don't know. <laughs> that was purposely bad. I know a little bit more than that. But Go sports. Do the goal. <laughs> do the goal. Pickers are number one. <laughs> but I think... I, so I would separate sports a little bit from books, movies, and television because mm-hmm. books, movies, and television often have, they have a protagonist. I won't say well, they always have And they're fiction. Sports are straight up real. That's true. <laughs> Quidditch. People play Quidditch. That's true. I mean, it's started out as a fictional, terribly nonsensical game that turned into somehow a thing that people actually do. Still nonsensical. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> that's true. But, there, I mean... Anyway, I'm just being a brat, but uh, there are fictional sports too, Preston. Yes, there are. Uh, but you're right. But we don't revere the sports heroes for their sports achievements in these fictional stories. We revere Harry Potter, for example, not because he's a great seeker, but because he d- took seven or eight years to beat Voldemort. Wow, what <laughs> a great segue into talking about what a Christ figure is. I don't know if you plan that. <laughs> we're silly today 
So I was reading another book to get ready for this. And good book. Not really what I thought it was going to be at all. It'll definitely be helpful later on. But I was reading Jesus, Potter, Harry, Christ. And it talks about the parallels between two literary characters. It's not really a comparison of Jesus and Harry Potter. But they did provide a really great definition of what a Christ figure is. So I'm going to read that. A Christ figure is simply a literary referent used to identify a fictional character that seems to symbolize Jesus Christ in a significant way, such as through the endurance of suffering, a sacrificial death, or a perceived rebirth or a resurrection. Many literary figures have been called Christ figures by various researchers, including Ahab of Moby Dick, Gandalf, or Frodo Baggins of Lord of the Rings, or Galahad in The Grail Quest. So... That's where I separate movies and TV and books a little bit is because we have these Christ character figures that don't necessarily appear in real world sports. And we appreciate them. Why? Because they're awesome stories. They are awesome stories is. Actually, that's a, a hotly contested statement regarding Harry Potter. But there's an awfully large following of Harry Potter because they're absolutely enjoyable stories, whether or not you think they're academically good. <laughs> I mean, that's a different discussion it for is. a different podcast. <laughs> I think the conversation I want to have around Christ figures is, why is it interesting? Is it interesting because we've heard this story for 2,000 years? And I honestly don't know, and I didn't think to look into it, is there a non-Judeo-Christian equivalent of Christ figure? Or is this further, this this deep dive that I don't necessarily want to go into today, if you do have a Christ figure from another religious group, is it just because it's an even older story than we realize? It probably, I've answered my own question. Comments, <laughs> thoughts, concerns? Um, in my excitement for developments in the Marvel Universe, <laughs> Ooh, good I've one. done a little bit of looking into... Um, this new announced TV show, TV show, it's on Disney Plus probably like two or three years from now called Moon Knight. Mm-hmm. Character I know very little about, but I did some wiki reading. And he's this Jewish fella, or half Jewish, Jewish or half Jewish, who his dad is a rabbi and he's out as a mercenary. He's a very scary, dangerous fella. And he experiences this death or near-death experience in, I want to say, Egypt. I'm going from memory from a Wikipedia article that summarizes probably more than one version of the story. You know Um, that's a good source. Right? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, when I'm just casually looking into my pop culture, learning and expectations, Wikipedia is an okay place to go to manage expectations, maybe. And he is approached by this Egyptian god who brings him back from this near death or or maybe full death to be almost himself a deeply deranged Christ figure. (laughs) Christ figures can come in a lot of different flavors. Usually they tend to be non-threatening, very positive savior figures. And I, I guess the point we should clarify is I was reading about Christ figures on Wikipedia. Because <laughs> uh, Wikipedia. I mean, Wikipedia is so easy. And it says that they need to... Dis- 
it's very broad. Almost anyone can be a Christ figure. So I don't even know <laughs> if it's a great definition. Um, or like, you could argue that someone is a Christ figure very easily. So it says the character might display one or more of the following traits. One or more. <laughs> Performance of miracles. Manifestation of divine qualities. Healing others. Displaying kindness and forgiveness. Right there. I'm already a Christ figure. <laughs> Fighting for justice. Being guided by the spirit of the father character. And the character's own death and resurrection. Simba. Right? So, <laughs> I mean... Simba, healing others, like literally any doctor character you could argue is a Christ figure because, I mean, if it's... If they're playing out any one of the stories in the Bible that center around Jesus doing a thing, then it's very easy to argue that they're a Christ figure. So why? What about the Christ figure story is so appealing? 2,000 years being retold and retold and retold and retold. We all love a hero. Mm-hmm. That that's just the way it goes. And if you don't love a hero, that says something about your character that I don't want to dive into at this particular probably moment. Probably a sociopath. I, I mean, <laughs> seriously, like a bare minimum, you're probably a sociopath. Probably. Yeah. Uh, no judgments. We need sociopaths to keep or things going. <laughs> she never likes the hero. She, she likes some heroes, but there's plenty of villains that she finds absolutely fascinating and really latches on to. <laughs> But um, these, we all generally love a hero and a hero that we can feel some sort of familiarity with actually helps a lot. And familiarity can be achieved in a lot of different ways. If he's from your hometown, like um, Deadpool is from Saskatchewan. Like the actual character of Deadpool. The character of Deadpool is from Saskatchewan. That's why I always like Wolverine because he's from Alberta. Right. Wolverine's from Alberta. Um, Ryan Reynolds, I think, is actually from BC. Yes. I think. Um, not that I, you know, have learned the home countries of all of the superheroes ever. That would be dreadfully boring to study up on I think in, for the long term. But I'm That's fair. A different person. <laughs> it takes all kinds to make the world go round, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so familiarity in that way is easy enough to accomplish. Um, Another way of familiarizing yourself with or familiarizing the hero of your story to your audience is to make them seem like something that they're already aware of. And Jesus is pretty ubiquitous around the world. (laughs) The everyman. In some ways. (laughs) He's definitely well known, at least in part. Like, there's an awful lot of people who say they're Christian who straight up don't know Jesus, but they're aware of Jesus in at least a few stories. <laughs> That's the <laughs> And so that, that familiarity of having a Jesus-type hero in your story helps to familiarize the audience with the hero. I have a like, follow-up question, and my brain doesn't quite know what it is. <laughs> so I think that's the why, anyway. <sighs> This might be diving down a rabbit hole. Do you need to have some awareness of of Jesus to appreciate these stories? Or is the story of Jesus based on the every story as well? (laughs) That's the great question, isn't it? (laughs) Um, One of my favorite heroes who's called a Jesus figure is Superman. Yep, that was on uh, almost all Christians will say Jesus and Superman basically the same guy. 
There's a couple of reasons why I really don't like that statement. Number one is Superman was written by a couple of Jews who definitely would have been familiar with Christian lore. Like, like one of the creators was a Canadian from Toronto. One of them was an American. They met up in Cleveland, I'm pretty sure. And they threw together this great story after a few other ideas that weren't really working out. And that's they, they lived in a world where Jesus was absolutely a, a real present thing. But if you look at w- the Superman story that they wrote, there's no Jesus there at all. It's all Moses. <laughs> Interesting. And that was, I guess, what I sort of talked around earlier of other religions, and because we're in a North America and a Judeo-Christian world, are there Moses figures or, you know, Buddha figures or Muhammad figures? Like, we talk about the Christ figure, and it's very easy to find. But maybe that's just because we're in North America, and whether you're Christian or not, you just societally you grow up with it and it's easy to or it's easy to find it and I don't even know if it's easy to find because people are purposely relating to the Bible or if it's just actually good story writing that's a great question right <sighs> I like that you brought up a, the, a, a potential of a Buddha figure made me immediately think of the Matrix I remember when it came out and ever since everyone's like Neo is the, the awesome Jesus figure in the story he's absolutely messianic he actually feels to me more like a Buddha figure. He becomes enlightened, though, I mean, he also has a guide, but he doesn't rely on his guide very much either. Which, I mean, there's absolutely a perfectly decent argument that he's a Jesus figure. There's several books on the subject that point that out. And I I just happen to feel that he's more of a Buddha figure. <laughs> so while we're talking about it, before we sort of move on to the next part that I want to talk about. Um, This is storytelling format as described by one of my favorite writers, Donald Miller. He writes books on business writing. And I use this frequently in my work. So storytelling format, a character. Who's your favorite character? Let's go with Luke Skywalker. Has a problem. Yeah, he does. He hates tending to dehumidifiers on a desert planet. <laughs> Who meets a guide? Yeah, old Ben Kenobi. That gives him a plan. Yeah, go fight the Empire. Here's your dad's lightsaber. <laughs> Calls him to action. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, that. Cool. Um, there's probably a little more with like the Republic and shit, but. Which leads, Join the rebellion. Yeah. Go save Princess Leia because here's a mission. Leads to a success. Yeah, they actually get her off the Death Star. And it avoids a failure. Yeah, she didn't get killed. Mm-hmm. And the character transforms. Yeah, Luke becomes a Jedi. Or, well, kind of. He slowly becomes aware of the Force and does use it. This is very <laughs> much a new hope, Luke Skywalker. Yes. Yes. Well, um, yeah, I'm definitely basing all this on the original. The, it's, it's we can cross. definitely stretch this out further. <laughs> right, but we could, storytelling format, easily can do that with Jesus. Oh, yeah. Or basically anyone else. Like I said, any good story. Once you know this, um, I was literally watching Lord of the Rings when Preston came. So, Frodo has the ring, meets Gandalf, joins the Fellowship, goes to Mordor, 
tosses three in the fire, avoids the destruction of the world, and Frodo is a happy little hobbit again. Actually, Minus he's not. a finger. <laughs> Minus a finger and a whole bunch of wins. He's actually not a happy little hobbit again. Um, he's deeply traumatized and <laughs> yeah. has to go across the sea. That's his character transformation. Yeah, the uh, book is different than the movie. It's been... <laughs> Brian and I were talking about this. It's been so long since I read it. I actually have no frame of reference for book to movie anymore. Yeah, so Sorry. I took a whole course on the works of Professor Tolkien um, through college. And it was pretty enjoyable. Um, we started with the Silmarillion, moved through The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, and that's actually all we covered of his writings. And I really enjoyed the Silmarillion first couple of chapters, and then it got really hard to keep reading. Um, I skimmed half of The Hobbit, and then when it came to Lord of the Rings, I was so burnt out that I just, when I had to write something about it, I would look through the movie <laughs> to find where in the book I would find the information I needed. And then read that chapter in the book. <laughs> so I know more or less how the story ended in the book. Remember very little because I was skimming it looking for something. <laughs> I just know that it is a lot more bleak and sad than the end of the movie was. Maybe when I finish Jesus Potter Harry Christ, I'll go back to Lord of the Rings and read that over <laughs> Christmas. Um, well, what a lovely wormhole that was. <laughs> So, I have some examples of pop culture as religion, and I really wanted to keep this episode on pop culture as religion, not religion in pop culture, but I think that'll be hard. There's definitely some blend in this Venn diagram really, in the mind. The, and the reason I wanted to stay with pop culture as religion is because religion in pop culture is infinite, and we could talk for hours basically just reiterating that everyone's a Christ figure. Right. That's not so, what we want to do. <laughs> So there's a couple examples I wanted to talk about. I mean, I guess, is it healthy or not? And if if there's a problem with worshiping pop culture or treating pop culture as religion. So just keep that in mind. So two examples that kind of tie in together, both of which I love, is there's a Bob's Burgers episode, and we're both Bob's Burgers fans, where the kids try to save an aquarium and they turn it into a church. And then there's also a John Oliver Last Week Tonight episode that I highly recommend. And I love it. <laughs> so good. He's talk he's talking about televangelists and seed face, so he actually turns his show into a registered religion with the IRA. So it can be tax exempt and he can take donations. Um It's weird that more companies don't do this. Like like in Bob's Burgers, they set up the aquarium to be a religion. We could totally take that model and just build up the Temple of the Shark, have basically, why why am I blanking on the name of the big water park down in San Diego? Like Sealand? Like Sealand. Sea Is that what it's sea called? SeaWorld? SeaWorld. Sea it's World. called SeaWorld. We could, we could totally set up a thing like SeaWorld probably in a place with a warmer climate than we have, and set it up as the Temple of the Shark. Call it a religion. If you want to come and visit the park, you have to offer a sacrifice, usually in the form of dollars. Let's be real. Oh, is that, a, that sounds <laughs> like an admission fee. Right? But it's not. It's a sacrifice to the gods of the sharks. Come and check it out. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's a great idea. Somebody's going to beat me to actually making this a real thing. Well, I... 
don't actually know what's I've looked tried to find it and I can't find what the CRA's rules are for on religion. But I hope our congregants subscribers um care to make a donation to our Patreon <laughs> so that we can register as a religion. And we'll wear giant watermelon on our head. Sure. I think. Absolutely. You dry out a watermelon and it's not gonna get real gross. Perfect. And it could be a perfectly reasonable hat. I thought just thought we'd make the felt, but I like the cut of your jib. <laughs> So, obviously, the Bob's Burgers episode is fiction, but John Oliver actually turned his show into a registered religion. Is there a problem with that? Is there? I'm asking. Uh, that. that depends on how you want to evaluate a religion. As far as dangerous religions go, I don't think last week tonight counts as a dangerous religion. Is it an abuse of the tax code? Maybe, but... Should the, the tax code be better? The tax code should absolutely be better. We got way too many people who make way more money than I do, paying less taxes than I do. And I haven't paid taxes in years. <laughs> he's been a student, everyone. Just like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, not a tax evade, evader. He's not evading taxes. <laughs> I just have not legally been required to pay taxes in a <laughs> long time. Everyone's going to be like, who's this lazy <laughs> motherfucker? Um. I have only recently qualified myself to be a host on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're more qualified than me. No, that's not true. Um, there's a reason there's two of us. We can't right. just have one person who's educated and call that a podcast. Right. <laughs> um, so whether... Or not something's a legally registered entity with whatever tax place. That's the word of my looking tax department. Paige, stop making mouth noises. Yeah. Ta tax taxation hammers of your country. Um, is there a point where worship of media or let's say celebrities is dangerous? What you know, taking taking your like or love of something to a worship beyond level. I suspect with no personal experience in this department that there is somebody who genuinely believes in at least the possibility of a real life Cthulhu. Mm -hmm. And that's a thing that approaches religion. And because Cthulhu is a dark, maddening character in the writings of H.P. Lovecraft, that could bump up against dangerous, potentially. I even mean so much as liking How I Met Your Mother too much. Right? Is there... I don't know what that looks like. Maybe the producers of How <laughs> You Met Your Mother have a crazy fan encounter that they want to email me about. But... Is there a benefit to worship, worshiping something to that level? That again, that's a pure religion, not your typical religion. I'd say there's a benefit. And, a community. And is there a point where it's dangerous? So again, like like how I met your mother, <laughs> the Harry Potter books. Let's go with My Little Pony. My Little Pony. <laughs> Orlando Bloom. Sure. Uh, I. I the reason My Little Pony came to mind is because you've got a Brody. strong following of people who are super committed. 
And I've had friends who really love My Little Pony. There's absolutely some good stories that are absolutely worth sharing with Is your children. Is there a price figure in My Little Pony? I don't know My Little Pony oh, well enough, dang. but I suspect strongly that there is. But that is a uninformed suspicion, or at least underinformed. And what I do know is that there is, like, you're familiar with rule. You're familiar with Rule Thirty Four, yes. Mm-hmm. My Little Pony has some scary. Oh no. Scary contributions oh, to the no. internet. Oh no. <laughs> and this is because of the religious, or almost religious, or para-religious Paraligious. following of this media. I mean, the little plastic toys that you, that you get your kids, not terribly sexual, but... <laughs> are they sexual at all? To some people, they are. <sighs> if people are into what they're into, and though I'm not going to kink shame somebody, Fair. I do believe that there is a line where you do need to change your behavior. <laughs> I guess if you're not hurting anyone, including yourself. Or other animals that often people don't feel comfortable considering as having feelings or feeling pain. Anything that's sentient, don't hurt it. What's what's the line for sentient? (laughs) Doesn't have a personality. Absolutely. I think that's a pretty decent criteria. If you you want to follow those rules that you have set, then that's a perfectly good criteria to meet that. (laughs) So if your para-religion doesn't hurt anything sentient, I think it's fine. Yeah, that's that's fair. Including yourself, everyone. So Yeah, if your religion hurts you. If you have like a weird shrine that you spend all your time at and you don't eat. mm, Problems. Problems, yeah. <sighs> How has religion absorbed pop culture and religion intentionally or unintentionally can give greater meaning to media? I don't know which one of those two might you want to talk about. That's they're both kind of big questions. Maybe um, we'll end with how has religion absorbed pop culture, and then we can talk about some of our favorite examples of sure. Christ figures or Bible okay. stories that we that are like Harry Potter. Religion absorbing pop culture. Um, There's an awful lot of Christians today compared to the very few Christians 2,000 years ago who actually believed in the figure of Lilith, who is in any story that deals with a, a hell and a devil and the idea of angels in pop culture that I'm aware of, there is a Lilith figure who in old rabbinic writings was... Adam's first wife before Eve in the Garden of Eden, who was not a great wife, who would not submit herself to Adam, and so was cast out and replaced with a far more submissive wife. I don't know if the audience heard my eye roll when Preston started talking about submissive wives, but there was a pretty big eye roll. But that's the story. And it's not based on the biblical text, but it's an old story that has been told so often that it has found itself in popular culture, which has then reflected itself back onto how a lot of Christians actually look at their theology. So that's one example of pop culture affecting theology that I've observed. Oh, that's a 
interesting one. It is an interesting one, and it's f- interesting to dive into and look at. Or or hell, the way most Catholics or even Protestants see hell is based a lot on the story of Dante Alighieri and his Divine Comedy. Mm-hmm. Very good. So those are the two examples I've got, and they're they're pretty cool. Uh, the Divine Comedy is a good read, but also, you know, it's a time commitment. It's broken down into three consumable chunks. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I mean, those are examples where it actually influences how we read scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. I hope those answered your question. I mean, it sure did. Okay. Now I'm just, like, pondering. I feel, <laughs> feels shook. Also, was it the Ascension of Mary, like, added after the fact by the Catholics? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. That wasn't pop culture, though, because that was so old. I mean, I guess maybe it was influenced by pop culture, but I'm, that's when, when you mentioned Lilith and Hell, I was like, what was added after the fact that people believe that's actually not in there at all? And that was when that... So the question in there is, how do you define pop culture? I mean, I don't <laughs> remember the date that the Ascension of Mary was, that, like, added as canon. It was after she died. <laughs> very good and before I was born so that narrows it down right? about 1900 years <laughs> thanks Preston um, I mean I would I feel like we should put this other way I would find pop culture as any media that is popular that is popular at the time so I don't I don't know enough about what was happening at that time to determine whether that was based off of pop culture or not but I think it'd be an interesting thing to look into because I bet it was influenced by what was happening at the time it was the popular belief back in those days when this story came about that to be the mother of god you have you therefore had to be sinless yourself which became a problem when people started teaching that absolutely everybody is born deeply sinful Mm -hmm. so there had to be this higher status given to mary so that she could be a believable vessel to bear a sinless Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, um, the why is the word escaping me right immaculate. now? The Immaculate Conception isn't the conception of Jesus. Yes, I remember learning. This is like one thing that stuck <laughs> with me from my time in university with religious studies is that it's the conception of Mary. Mary was immaculate. And immaculate, everyone, I don't know, it actually means untouched by man, yeah. big male man. So, if your house is immaculate, it means your husband doesn't help you. Not just that it's pristine. It means untouched by a man. Immaculate. Yeah. Fun fact. Because men are dirty. and Men are gross. <laughs> Am I right? Sorry. And so Mary had to be elevated to this higher status. And then the story, um, the Proto-Evangelion of James uh, tells the story of how Mary was conceived immaculately by a figure Magic. who... Not only bears the name Anna in the English translation, but straight up is a copy of the Old Testament Hannah, the mother of Samuel. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. Mary's own story is also very similar to Samuel's in the Old Testament. It's just copying older source material like we talked about before. (laughs) Before we turn on the mic, so that makes this really weird. But uh, that'll come in an episode when we... Probably just talk about Jesus for 
at least an hour. That might be a two-parter. But Could be. Um, I was we'll saying see. to Preston, this book that I'm reading, Jesus Potter Hit Christ, I thought would be more about pop culture, but it's actually about how um, the, the author argues that Jesus is a fictional literary character as opposed to historical, um, and that information for Jesus was borrowed by earlier writings, just like the Harrys and the Frodo's world were borrowed from Jesus. So, Preston, what is some of your favorite Jesus-y pop culture, for lack of a better term? Um, because, like I said, there was going to be no way we could talk about pop culture as religion without religion and pop culture. So what are some of your favorite examples of religion in pop culture? And it can be anything. Like, I'm just going to toss out the Book of Mormon musical. <laughs> is amazing. It's so much fun. I like that, though it addresses the theology of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that's not what the story is about. It's about two missionaries who straight up make their own theology and really screw up any potential for teaching in uh, Uganda where the Church of Jesus Christ is not currently present, as far as I know, not at least on any official status. It is a pretty fun example of religion and pop culture. Mm -hmm. Um, We had a lot of fun going to that show together. (laughs) Hmm, my favorite. There's. I have a bunch. There's so many little aspects of things that are all over the place in so many different media. Absolutely. What What's coming to your mind? Well, (laughs) one of my favorite things to do, and this sounds so stupid mm-hmm. is i like to listen to the jesus christ superstar soundtrack which <laughs> if you haven't listened to it it's an andrew lloyd Webber musical from the 70s and it's like the last few days of jesus and then i'll listen to book of mormon because then it's chronological <laughs> but it's like jesus christ superstar is like very serious and then book of mormon's not but i listen to them both together and think i've got all my theology in for the day um <laughs> I mean, if we're talking Christ figures, I've always been a big Harry Potter fan, literally just watching Lord of the Rings. I think those are probably my big ones. I had another point to make, but I'll let you tell me about some of your favorite examples. Um, My most ridiculous example was Hamlet 2. Okay. (laughs) I've never even heard of it. It's a ridiculous movie. Um, I can't remember the name of the star. Um, but basically, the, the the idea of the show is that this new theater teacher comes to school and says, I got this show plan that's really going to rock everybody's socks. It's a sequel to Hamlet. And I was like, but everybody died in Hamlet. <laughs> and, I mean, I know it's been done very rarely, but it's rare that not the original author does, like... right. Like, yeah. the idea of a spiritual sequel is one thing, but this is straight up Hamlet 2, meant to be a sequel to the original Hamlet, oh, dear. done 400 years later Oh no! <laughs> as a musical, if I remember correctly. It's actually been a little Musicals are always I'm better. I'm fairly confident it was a musical. And so, everybody's dead, you have to bring them back to life. How do you do that? Bring in Jesus. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Jesus just resurrects everyone. Yeah, and it just gets crazy. So that was a lot of fun. I need to. I mean, I wouldn't call it high quality cinema, but but I I would recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) It was some good fun. The opposite end of that spectrum, um, I would say you've got things like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm -hmm. Aslan is 
Jesus. Absolutely Jesus. Oh, well, C.S. is very open about that. He's yeah. an apologist. And I don't mind Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's the only story in the series that I actually familiarized myself with, and I did enjoy it well enough, though it's weird that the kids walk into Narnia in a land full of sentient animals of all shapes and sizes, wearing fur, and nobody talks nobody about says it. Anything. <laughs> uh, my, pro- my problem book in the C.S. Lewis series was the silver chair. That one is like have some religion shoved down your throat. And that one I actually struggle with. Read that one, like, the entire thing is very preachy. I found this, and that's why I remember it, because there's a bunch of books, and I couldn't list them all, too. I've only read the series once, but I remember the silver chair being very, very preachy. <laughs> but I do enjoy The Land of the Wood. It's a good movie. <laughs> Which is the only basis I have to judge the series on. I've never actually read any C.S. Lewis. I have Mere Christianity on my shelf. I've been meaning to read it for 10 years and I still haven't gotten around to it. Well, I'm going to assign it to you in a podcast It's not even a long book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one more question I want to address, especially to you as a religious person. Mm -hmm. And I have my own ideas for this, but as a non-religious person, I can't really answer it, is getting away with religion in pop culture, especially, like, really blatant examples of Jesus Christ Superstar, Book of Mormon, I have Lucifer here on the list, um, where you are dealing with canon and scripture. How do you not offend people? Uh, what do you mean? Do, do I fail to offend people? Do not I succeed you in offending people? Not you personally, <laughs> Preston. <laughs> Um, I'm sorry. I guess I don't understand the question. (laughs) Well, uh, you're a member of the LDS Church. Why are you not offended by the Book of Mormon? The musical. Not not the actual book. Um, Because I don't take it personally, I guess. Like, there are... There's one song, I believe, which... Favorite song. um, I can spell that out right now. You don't want me to. I've seen people use it as just a... A fun song to say, yeah, these are the things we believe. And the tone of it is a little mocking in some parts, particularly um, those parts that slightly misrepresent what we believe. But it's also sung by a fellow named Kevin, who that's that's what he believes. And though most of it reflects the, the general belief of the church, not all of it does, Technically, it's, I accept it as an expression of a fictional person's belief. Interesting. <laughs> um, uh, Constantine, the, the movie, not the TV show that came out with Keanu Reeves, like almost 15 oh, yeah, years know, ago or I whatever. Perfectly enjoyable. There's a part in it that's like, well, in hell, Corinthians has a couple extra chapters or whatever. It's been a while since I've seen that, too. But I remember that little thing. And it's just like, that's weird. Because there's plenty of extra books in the Bible that could be added that aren't. Books that we know the Bible talks about that are no longer available. Things like that. Would have been easier to say, oh, yeah, it's in these other writings of Paul. Rather than saying, yeah, this epistle just had extra chapters that have been cut. It's kind of weird. But it doesn't offend me. It just, But it does hit me as kind of weird. And... Lilith being used, like I mentioned before, in almost every story that deals with hell and angels and demons, 
it doesn't offend me. It just that storytelling mm-hmm. in that universe, things are different. I, to think that all stories take place in the same universe I live in, it's just asking to be offended and have problems. But if you accept a thing as fiction, then everything's going to be just fine. <laughs> That's um, the way I deal with it. Is I guess then my follow-up question, and, and then maybe I'll go into my thoughts. Is there a point or place where pop culture could cross a line? Where is there a way they could have done the Book of Mormon musical, for example, that you've been like, this is super offensive to everything I maybe. believe. If they or were... I mean, and and maybe if you can remove yourself a bit, because if you can't separate people who can't separate themselves mm-hmm. from that. I think if something is deliberately defamatory, like uh, the Book of Mormon talks about, or the Book of Mormon musical talks about um, how Joseph Smith found the plates and how he passed them off to Brigham Young and said, don't let anyone see them. I mean, that's straight up not true, but it's not presented as deliberately defamatory. It's presented from the point of view of a character who straight up has zero familiarity with his church's history. Mm-hmm. And so, if you were to make that transition and to make the Book of Mormon musical about the coming forth of the Book of Mormon and make it straight up contradictory to all of the histories that we have available on that time, that would probably be offensive. But when it's told from the point of view of a completely ignorant figure, it's way less offensive. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's where I stand, anyway. No, and that's, that was my thoughts, again, that I, you know, can't say as a non-believer, but um, I have a friend who's quite a devout Christian. She loves Lucifer, but she's also said it's very accurate to Scripture. Obviously, Lucifer does not come to earth as a hot man, unfortunately. <laughs> but every time they reference something biblical, it's accurate, and that's where... She enjoys it, and I, when I first saw Lucifer, not knowing that much, I was like, oh, she wouldn't, she wouldn't like this, but she enjoys it because it's accurate, and, and you just kind of confirm that, and because it's accurate, um, or accurate to the character, it's like, okay. If in Lucifer, for example, where you have a figure living on Earth as this hot dude, mm-hmm. imagine having Jesus show up, but instead of being like Jesus, he's like Zeus from the old tales in Greece, Mm. that would be offensive to people. (laughs) Because that's, that is straight up a misrepresentation of the character. And biblically, we have very little detail on what the character of Lucifer really is. And presenting him in any sort of way that is attractive to people makes perfect sense based on his role Mm -hmm. that it's not offensive. And I, and, and I mean, for the premise of the show, a good character to pick, right? You couldn't have done Jesus as a crime no. drama. No, it wouldn't work. No. It wouldn't be interesting, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would straight up fail to be interesting. There is, there is that show I haven't seen on Netflix called Messiah. Have you seen the previews? I've movie? seen the previews we for should, it. I've heard it. it's good. Right? Yeah. Anyway, that was a complete <laughs> digression. But uh, any... Final thoughts? Any bows you want to tie and wrap up this episode? Religion is complicated. <laughs> Don't be afraid to talk to talk to your friends about it. And the things we've addressed, I think, are both fascinating and very deep wells 
<laughs> to dive into. They always are. Um, if you have any thoughts or comments, our lovely congregants, that's what I'm calling you now, shoot us an email. Let us know what your favorite Christ figure is or example of religion and pop culture at, and it was wrong last episode because I hadn't set it up yet, holywatermelonpod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. And leave us five stars on your preferred podcast player and subscribe and share with a friend. Peace, Peace be, be with, with you. you. <laughs>